Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your love, your presence, your provision, all that you are to us and for us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King. We can gather today in spirit and in truth to worship him, to exalt him, and I pray that even dealing with things as seemingly commonplace as communication, that you, we can direct our hearts knowing that you are the Lord of the Word. You are Lord of communication. You are the one who gives us utterance to speak and the opportunity to edify and build one another up and to resolve conflict and to be ambassadors of peace. And that uh, finds no more welcome place than in our homes. I pray that the encouragement from the Word this morning would strengthen us and empower us to to speak what is fitting for that, to that end. And that in, in our words, Lord, we may love one another and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, why don't we open our Bibles together? That light is bright. Top of my head probably glows with a, yeah, with a surreal glory. All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue on in our series on marriage. I think we're in the teens now and the number of sermons I've gone through, but trust that this is uh, helpful to you and is giving you wisdom, wisdom from the Word to strengthen that most precious and fundamental bond of marriage between a man and a wife. Our text today, as it did last Lord's Day, comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I will read through verse 27, starting at verse 25. Please follow along. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. That is our text this morning. And so this uh, little Mini, mini, mini series is called Communication Rules Part 2. And as we discussed last Lord's Day, there's going to be four primary principles or applications for you to take away. And this is number two. The first, of course, was be honest. That comes from verse 25. Be honest. That is, lay aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. And of course, Paul draws from the Old Testament Truth has always been close to the heart of God. He is a God of truth, and He desires His people to be a people of truth. A people who speak the truth. Of course, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth for the purpose of edification, sanctification, building one another up. There's always a purpose behind obeying the Lord. And so when we speak the truth, we speak it toward a particular end, to see a particular uh, goal fulfilled. And so we find that communication in marriage is of the utmost importance. Husbands and wives, you have to interact with each other every day. You have to talk with each other. You have to resolve issues. You have to come to an agreement. Lack of communication is not meant to be an obstacle in marriage or a stumbling block, 
but a, a path to growth, a path to peace, a path to cultivating love and consideration for one another. And so we begin by a most essential component of that, of communication rules, and that is tell the truth. Tell the truth. Do not lie to one another. And we went through the various benefits of that, and today we want to come to rule number two. And that is this. So write these down. First and foremost, and of course, the application here from Ephesians 4 is, yes, it's good communication. It's good communication habits, but also these principles will strongly lend themselves to conflict resolution. It may surprise you to hear that you are not going to agree on everything. You're not going to agree on everything. You're going to disagree. And, prepare to be mind-blown, you are going to sin against one another every once in a while. Hopefully we can keep that to a minimum as we are sanctified in the Spirit. But the fact is, that's going to happen. And so, how do, how do we... How do we What do we use as a guide? How do we navigate those situations, whether it's preventing preventing strife and division in our marriage or simply recovering peace? So these, these principles will lend themselves to both of those things and more. But rule number two, of course, is to keep current, right? Be honest, keep current. And you might think, wow, those are related. Absolutely they are. It's very, it's very hard. I would say even impossible to keep current in your relationship if you're not telling each other the truth. Keep current means keep current in the truth. Keep things up to date. Do not dwell on the past or be naive toward the future, naive to the things you do not know, but keep current. Before we even get into this text, I want to just uh, reminds you of the various roadblocks that exist in biblical godly communication. Please write these down because these can be a these can be an opportunity for the devil. He can get a foothold within any of these settings. So we have to be we have to be on guard against that, and we'll we'll unpack that in greater detail as we go along. But the roadblocks to communication, which is essential. The first, of course, is laziness. Some of these we've been over that over already, but it pays to remind ourselves of them. Laziness. Simply just not taking the time to communicate or to resolve your issues. So what's the answer to that? Well, repent and stop being lazy. Your marriage is important, so give attention to it. Don't be lazy. Be diligent. Work hard in communication. Second one we covered last Lord's Day. Dishonesty or simply lying. And, and being on guard against that habit. We talked about lying being one of the most addictive sins. Because when you lie, you get away with something, and it's fun to get away with things. It's fun to not be caught. And so you keep doing it. That's another roadblock to good communication. The other, of course, is pride. Now, this is primarily to the person on the receiving end. It's going to be a roadblock to communication if you do not humble yourself and you're not able to take correction. Or even the insight of your spouse. So don't let pride be a roadblock to good, godly communication and growth in that communication. Don't be so proud that you're not willing to take correction or receive the truth. The other one, of course, is fear of man. This is usually from the standpoint of the person who needs to go to the other person and tell them the truth. If you have a fear of man... Fear of the outcome, fear that they're going to get upset at you, or fear that they're going to shut you down and resist what you say. Any number of things emerge as a result of the fear of man. That happens, you're not going to say anything. No communication. And no communication is bad communication. 
And the one we will be uh, going over today, I think another thing is anger. If you are prone to anger, if you go around with a chip on your shoulder all the time, you're always upset, whether it's exploding in anger or it's a slow smolder. Either. And anything in between can be a roadblock to simply working out your problems as man and wife. And we want to be on guard against any of the, against any of these things that may threaten communication in your marriage. Because if the communication breaks down, rest assured, the marriage will break down. And we don't want that to happen, of course. We want God honoring marriages. We want to see His power, His strength alive and well in our marriage relationships. And so, in terms of keeping these things at bay, it's not just a, an issue of not doing them. It's not just inaction that prevents bad communication. It's action in a godly direction. So, of course, rather than laziness, it's diligence. Rather than dishonesty, it's telling the truth. Instead of pride, it's humility. Instead of fear of man, it's fear of God. And instead of anger, it's not merely just lack of anger or happiness. It's righteous anger. There is a th such thing as righteous indignation. So we want to keep current. Keeping current with your spouse plays a fundamental role in the peace in your marriage and the peace of your communication. And of course, we can, we can just write off anger as a completely bad thing. Oh, don't ever get mad. Don't ever get angry. Don't, don't ever let the other person know that there is a dent in the armor of your self-control. I think we're, I think we kind of take anger and put it in the realm of what is commonly known as toxic masculinity. All forms of anger are wrong. But of course, we would see from the Bible that anger can be used to solve problems. Anger can be used as a tool. And of course, we, we, are, we want to be on guard against uncontrolled anger, not just anger in general. It's anger of a particular quality that we have to guard our hearts and marriages against. But to be angry at things, especially to be angry at sin, to be angry at the forces of darkness that array themselves against the knowledge of God, and the kingdom of His Son, of course, we should be angry at that. There should be consternation. There should be righteous indignation toward those things. And when that arises, we need to be able to talk about them. And sometimes you will find, usually we call it venting, but if you are angry and you're able to talk something out, even if there's no immediate solution on the horizon, you often feel at peace you have a better attitude toward the situation. You are able to reorient your emotions according to the truth of Scripture. You're able to see things more clearly and not be blinded or driven by anger. And if we're not blinded by anger, if we're not misguided by our anger, we're able to tell the truth. It's hard to tell the truth when you're angry. And of course, we talked last Lord's Day about building a culture of trust in your marriage. And if you are able to discuss things and communicate biblically, even though you are angry, then your marriage will be strengthened. And that's one of the difficult things. That's where humility comes into play. It's very difficult to hear someone talk to you or bring up something if they are angry. It's just one of those things. One of those issues of life and issues with marriage. We don't want to be talked to when someone is angry. If my kids know or think that I am angry, they are very timid. Probably happens in your household as well. Uh-oh, dad's angry. <laughs> it's usually dad that's angry. Um, but we understand that 
It makes communication, it makes fellowship very difficult. So how can we understand it from a biblical way? And I think that this text here breaks it down into three kind of discernible pieces in regarding anger. So if you want to write these down, I'll go through all three of them first, and then we'll unpack them as we go. But first of all, it's controlling our anger in terms of keeping current. Remember, that's the application, keeping current in our communication. One is controlling our anger, two is dealing with our anger, and three is guarding against our anger. Controlling our anger, dealing with our anger, and of course, guarding against our anger. And all of that is found in verses 26 and 27. So, of course, keeping current regards solving you the problems that arise in your marriage today. Right. That's how, even though you are angry, you may be angry at the person, angry at the situation, angry at sin, but direct that angry anger into, into a resolve to solve those problems, to call for repentance, to show forgiveness, because in those things, God is glorified, and that is the top priority of marriage, is to bring God glory in your union together. So it's very true. Not all anger is wrong. But how do we deal with it? Think about this verse, Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gets through this. He's, he's talking to, his, to, the, to the crowd about not being anxious, not worrying. And in verse 33, he says this of chapter 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then he goes to verse 34 and says this, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself, or tomorrow has its own trouble. Right? Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Each day has its own issues. The past, you can't do anything about the past. You don't know the future. And so there is a lot of wisdom in focusing on resolving today's issues, especially since you don't want them to build up. This is so important to communication. Right? You want to keep current. So many of us and so many marriages I've, I've, I've given counsel to have a problem. They have several problems, but one of the problems comes from not keeping current. I mean, telling the truth is its own issue. But a major problem is not keeping current. And so what does this look like in a counseling session? And I I see it come to light quite frequently. Is that when talking through a particular problem, either the husband or the wife will reach way back into history and will say, see, you've always done this. Remember that one time 10 years ago or that time seven years ago? When you did this, and then you the, the, then you rub their face in it, and you can never deal with the issues that are because you can't constantly keep rubbing their face into the, the the issues that were. And so, in a situation like that, there's almost no forgiveness. Right? A good uh, illustration would be taking out the garbage. I mean, imagine if you know you go and you take out the trash, and the trash man comes by. And he failed to pick up the main garbage can, the one with the, the rotten veggies, the one with the old coffee grounds. And it just stinks to high heaven. Imagine you do this, man, and then your wife comes to you later and says, why, why didn't the trash man come? And you say, well, he did. Well, what happened? Well, I told him I just wanted to hold on to this garbage for a while. That's effectively what you are doing when you refuse to keep current. So imagine you're in this this counseling situation or just between you and your spouse and you're trying to resolve something 
and you say, okay, let's talk about what happened today. And then the other person says, no, 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 wait. we got to go all the way back. Bear with me here. I'm sorry, honey, but we can't talk about this until I got to bring all this up from 10 years ago, all this garbage that I thought we took out and rub your face in it. That is an ungodly form of brutality because when you keep bringing up the garbage from the past that hopefully you took out at some point, that betrays a lack of forgiveness, a lack of grace, an unwillingness to simply let it go. And I realize that there are some betrayals in marriage that come up that are very, very difficult to get, to get on, to, to get by and to get through. And that is where the grace of God comes in. That is where a willingness to forgive comes in. But imagine that scenario every time you need to talk about something. Well, let's go and dwell on the past and bring in years of garbage that we should have taken out. How are you ever going to have peace in your home if one of you or both of you keep doing this to one another? That's the competition for supremacy that I keep warning you all about. Stop trying to get the upper hand in your marriage. And one of the ways you can avoid doing that is keeping current. Deal with the troubles of today and do not rub one another's faces in past failures. Now, if you do talk about past failures, I don't want to absolutize this principle. It should be in the context of what you have forgiven each other from. It should be in the context of what you have learned from it and how you have grown and maybe, maybe, maybe occasionally as a warrant, as a warning. There is something about past betrayals that can make the, the betrayed spouse skittish, right? Oh man, I remember when that happened. But that's a far cry from bringing it up and acting as if there is no atonement for the person who violated, who violated you. I mean, to continually dwell on the past and never be able to forgive is going to rot your bones and is going to destroy your marriage. But that's what happens when you never keep current. If you refuse to deal with the problems of today in a timely manner, then you're always going to be dealing with the problems of the past and you're never going to be able to let anything go. And that goes back to the issues of why we don't communicate. You realize it's very hard to keep current if you are afraid of your spouse, if you have a fear of man, if you're angry all the time, if you can't tell the truth, if you're too proud, or if you act like your spouse is they just can't be helped, right? They're beyond the realm, they're beyond the reach of grace. They can never change. If you treat one another like that, you're never going to be able to keep current. You're just going to say, "Oh, well, that's that's the way that's the way it is." But the, but that kind of resignation is a myth. It's fantasy, because inside your bones are rotting. Inside, you're smoldering, you're getting angry, and it builds up. And then pretty soon, you have Chernobyl in your household. And you're calling me or Jeremy or whoever is close in your life, and, and, we're, and we're trying to manage the fallout. Because your house and your marriage are on fire. And so keeping current is a way to prevent that, because these things just build up over time, and then there's just this explosion of anger. So don't bring that baggage of the past into the issues of today. Deal with what is today. And don't worry about tomorrow. Keep current. Proverbs 27.1, don't boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. But you know what happened today so you can deal with that. And you can communicate 
regarding the various issues that may bring division in your marriage. Also, you know, you want to take care of things today because you don't know what tomorrow may never come, right? You don't know what tomorrow may bring. Tomorrow may not be here. I think it will, but you never know what events of life can take you by surprise. So resolve those things today. And Paul says in this text, in terms of keeping current, controlling your anger, be angry, he says, and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Proverbs 14, 29. We've got a lot of Proverbs here. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. So one way of, of, of expressing righteous anger is to be slow to it. Don't be quick to anger. In fact, it is the Lord Himself who describes Himself as slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He is quick to forgive, but His wrath comes slowly. So don't abuse His patience. In Proverbs 14.35, the king's favor is toward a servant who acts wisely, but his anger is toward him who acts shamefully. There are limits, that tells us. There are limits to acting foolishly. One we've already said from Proverbs, a, a soft answer turns away wrath, or a gentle answer, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A righteous anger is anger that is used strategically. It does. It's not an anger that seeks to stir others up. In Proverbs 15, 18, we read, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Both men in this text are angry. Both of them express anger. Well, what's the difference? One of them is slow to that anger. So be angry and do not sin. So sin is not, or anger, anger is not sin as we know it. You can sin in a righteous way. We see God, he is slow to anger, but he does get angry. He becomes angry with his people. He's angry with the wicked every day, Psalm 711 says. He's angry with the wicked every day. Even David, King David, the beloved king of Israel, speaking of his enemies, his enemies who hate the Lord, and he says, I hate them with perfect hatred. They have become my enemies. David is angry at his enemies. And you see David praying imprecatory prayers upon his enemies that God would judge them, that he would execute his wrath upon them if they refused to repent. That is a righteous anger. That is a righteous prayer. We even see Jesus as angry at times, exasperated by in his humanity by a lack of faith from those who listen to him, grieved by their hardness of heart. Think about Jesus cleansing the temple. Is that a meek and mild, passive Jesus we see who just wants to give you a great big bear hug? No, he's overturning, he's overturning tables in the temple because zeal for his father's house consumes him and he wasn't going to stand for it. So there is a way, there is provision for righteous anger. And I think in this context, we use that anger to resolve disputes and potential division in our marriage, and we do them biblically. There is something about anger where, if we, where it is a powerful tool and emotion to pursue righteousness. There is something about anger that ma can make us act quickly on something, hopefully not foolishly and in haste or in an uncontrolled manner, but if we are angry at something, it can spur us on to action, and we are looking for godly action here, godly action to be applied to our marriage. But we have to understand that anger in itself is not a sin. 
And I keep hammering that down because sometimes we treat it that way. Uh Uh-oh, someone's angry. That's wrong. You got angry. There's a difference between being righteously angry and then full-on losing your temper. We call that uncontrolled anger. So back to verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So turn with me. I believe it's Psalm chapter 4. This is where Paul is where Paul is quoting from. Psalm chapter 4. The Psalm of David. And note how this begins while you're turning there. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will, you, will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? So there is his, his crying out to the Lord regarding certain Certain men, certain men who need to get their priorities straight. They love what is worthless and they aim at at deception. These are ungodly men. And David is pouring out his heart to the Lord. But then he says this, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So there's the complaint, and then there is the consolation, right? You have this, Word Selah, there's a pause there. I'll get more into that in just a bit. But he makes his complaint, and then immediately his thoughts return to the Lord. But no, right? Don't ask David how he feels. Ask David what he knows. And he knows that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. David could be speaking of himself. And and we know that because he says, the Lord hears when I call to him. Now look at verse 4. This is where the quote comes from. Tremble. This is a word for, this is, this is a Hebrew word for anger. So anger can mean, can, can, Hebrew is very visual. So one of the meanings of the Hebrew word for, for, for anger is to, is to tremble or to quiver. And that's what happens when we get mad, right? We just think, oh, I just want to throw something. But, but usually we, we shake in anger. Right? Another word is to kindle, right? As if a fire's been lit. So once again, this word anger is very visual. But he says, Tremble and do not sin. So note note the instruction that David is giving here. Tremble and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. But we say, how? Because anger can give the devil a foothold so that in our anger we do sin. But know what David says here. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. So he has he has four key words here in verse 4, and note the position of Selah, because I think that is that provides some very uh, good instruction here. So the first word, he says, do not be angry. That's the Hebrew word rigzu. And all these have a similar ending. Rigzu, do not be angry. Teheta'u, do not sin. Imru, meditate. Be angry, do not sin. Meditate. That is, to say in your heart. This word meditate isn't sort of the Eastern mysticism where we're sitting you know, cross-legged contemplating our navels together. This is to meditate in, in the Hebrew means to tell, to say something. You know, we consider it weird in today's culture to talk to ourselves, but this is exactly what's going on. And the reason that we talk to ourselves is that if we don't talk to ourselves, ourselves will start talking to us. You ever just dwell on something in silence and you just kind of hear this voice in your mind? Oh, but she said that. Oh, but he did this. How could they possibly treat me this way? That's yourself talking to you. So what is David doing here? He's talking to himself. Meditate. Tell yourself. Well, what are we telling ourselves? Well, go back. 
go back to verse 3. We start talking to ourselves about the truth of who God is. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. If you are the godly man in question, know that first before anything else. And the Lord hears when you call to him. So when you are angry, what do you do? You talk to yourself and say, Self, now is a good time to call upon the Lord. And then do so, rather than sitting there stewing and wondering how you can let the person know how hurt and violated you've been. Rigzu, Tehetahu, Imru, and then Vedomu, that is, be still. Think in our context of anger is don't act in anger. Be still. I mean, <laughs> we use the word often, I don't want to take this out of context, but chill out, settle down. That's not exactly unbiblical counsel. Be still. Vedomu. And then it says, Selah. I think this part is very important. So all of this is, is sort of unpacking what Paul is saying. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's where that connection is, where he says, meditate in your heart upon where? Your bed. It's getting to be bedtime. What do you do at bedtime if you're angry? How do you keep from the sun going down on your anger? First, call out to the Lord. Call out to the Lord. That's what he's telling us to do. But note this word, Selah. Typically, we, uh, we understand it as a, as a pause, right? This is, this is music that's being written. And so Selah is thought to be a pause, right? We, so when we read the scripture, we come to Selah and we kind of like digest what is just said. We pause so that we can think about what has just been said. Now, there's a couple of thoughts we can add to this that I think helps us apply this and think about it more deeply. Because this word Selah is, is, is debated amongst, I think, very, very earnest and well-meaning scholars. Where does it come from? Well, the first word is thought to be Salah, which means to lift up, to build, or to prepare. Lift up, build, or prepare. And it could be in the context, especially as to lift up a praise, this word Salah, lift up a praise to Yahweh, or lift up your voice. And I think when we read something like this, read something in the Psalms, and we, and we hear this word, Selah, it's like, oh yeah, now is the time to lift up. We take a pause, we take a moment to combine the thoughts of what we have just heard, and we lift them up in praise to Yahweh. Another word is thought to come from is the Hebrew kalah, which means to hang or to measure, in, as if in a balance. That is, we are assessing or appraising the value of something. So in this psalm, we would be assessing or appraising the weight, the gravity of what has just been read, what has just been spoken from David. It's like we're, we're, we're chewing on it. Once again, we're meditating on it. But then you combine this together, right? What is, it, what is, what is the vision we have here? We pause so as to think something through, so as to lift the matter to God, so as to bring Him praise. So this is quite a picture here. How do we go from anger to glorifying God? How do we, how do we see the, the consternation of the day transformed into praise? I think that's, that's usually quite a bridge to cross. First I'm angry, and now I'm praising God. But David tells us here in just eight short verses. See, he acknowledges God. He calls out to God. He, he acknowledges the righteousness of God. And then he's, 
then he's sort of confused, right? He's vexed. How long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Then go down to verse 6. Many are saying, who will show us any good? And then what's David's remedy? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us. O Lord, you have put gladness in my heart more than when the grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. So before he goes to bed, before he before he he lays his head on his my pillow, he thinks these things through. And only then, only then can he go to sleep. Only then has he obeyed this call to be angry and do not sin. He recognizes who the Lord is. Look at verse 7 again. You have put gladness in my heart. Wait, where did that anger go? Well, maybe some of that anger is still there. However, he is dealing with it by calling to mind the faithfulness of God. So that's why he says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. It is very hard to go to sleep when you are angry at something or someone. You're just tossing and turning. All these thoughts are afflicting you. And that is why we say, meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Be still. Know that He is the Lord. Take every thought captive in obedience to Him. And yes, this is a a difficult exercise. But remember that God has a claim on you. The Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. That's the first thing you acknowledge. Lord, I belong to you. I may be angry at my spouse. They may have said something really mean to me or violated trust, but ultimately my peace, my consolation is that I am found in you. You have set me apart for your purposes. Don't let anger derail that. That is how. We go from anger to glorifying God. And even think about this. Think about this now in relationship to your spouse, the one at whom you are angry. (laughs) Usually when you're angry at them, you don't want to talk to them at first. And it's okay to take that time, right, to, to calm down, to meditate, to talk to yourself, to speak truth to your own heart, to speak God's truth to your own heart, and get control of your emotions. But look at verse, going back to verse, uh, see, Verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Remember that. Your spouse is a fellow member of the body of Christ. Not only are you one flesh, but you are fellow members together. Remember, it keeps going on. Keep that thought in mind. It is a great motivation to seek peace and for your anger to relent and to subside that you are still members of one body with this person even though you are angry at them. So be angry and yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Very clear. Very clear communication. And we do realize that, yes, I would, the counsel that I would add too is if, you know, it gets to bedtime and what if both of you are angry at each other? I would say the minimum you should do is to agree to talk about it the next day. At least if there is agreement, let us pursue peace together. Because again, it's late, you're both tired, and you shouldn't have arguments when you are really tired. You want your mind to be engaged, you want to think it through. As we said, you want to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. It's difficult to measure those things out and to apply wisdom as to what to say and how to say it if you are very tired. 
So the least you should do for one another out of love and submission toward one another is to at least agree we will resolve this tomorrow. But resist the urge to have your anger be expressed in silence. Oh, I just hope this person knows how mad I am at them. I mean, get off, get, get off yourself and get over yourself. I mean, what is that going to accomplish? I think one issue too, one issue, one, one good counsel is, and we didn't really cover this last week, but it does, it does definitely come into play with, um, with being honest, but also with keeping current, especially with the person who is on the receiving end, or if you're, or if you're angry with one another. This phrase, clamming up, right? You clam up. You freeze in place. You have that thousand yard stare, like you've seen terrible things. And you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to respond. And that does not help the situation. As we've said before, you are man and wife. You must talk about things. You must work through things. And you must not delay working through those things. And we all know that in any social context, not talking about something in a timely manner does no good for the relationship. It actually harms it. And as my professor used to say, if you clam up, you're eventually going to blow up because you're holding it all in. Some of the examples of clamming up. Start crying, right? It's not just silence. Clamming up can be crying. You just, you just lose yourself emotionally and you cry and you sob and you have a hard time listening. There's also... You know, the opposite end, exploding in anger, right? Not being able to exercise self-control and simply listen and respond appropriately. Another one we all know and love from our respective spouses is the, uh, the fabled eye roll, right? They say something, oh, how can you be so ridiculous as to say that? Whatever, you know, <laughs> don't say that anymore if you do repent. But don't roll your eyes. Don't be dismissive, in other words. That's one thing I, you know, coming along and, you know, coming down the pike with counseling and communication. And, and, and I'm kind of getting, pre, you know, delivering this prematurely here. But honestly, you guys are man and wife. You love and care for one another. Let one another be wrong. Honestly, is it so bad if they diagnose you the wrong way? That is a, that is a fault easily overlooked. Allow yourselves to be wrong about each other, but don't be dismissive. Hear each other out. There's also laughter along typically accompanying the eye roll, or you change the subject, or you get self-righteous, meaning you start comparing them with yourself or someone else. Well, at least I didn't do this. Oh, there's the garbage again that you're bringing back from the past. At least I never did this to you. Right? Well, wait, you're deflecting. Let's, let's come back to the issue at hand, the issues of today, so we can resolve them, so we can forgive one another and build one another up and have a joyful, Christ-exalting marriage. You want to guard yourself from those things because to guard yourself from these things is to guard yourself from bitterness and clamming up routinely and never being willing to talk through these things, usually due to pride, will result in bitterness on both parts. One bit, one is bitter because you feel like you're always under attack and the other person is bitter because you just won't listen, right? And I'm trying to give you counsel to keep these things from ever happening. Very difficult to, as one, to live and serve God to one another, with one another, if you're constantly fighting, if you're constantly suspicious of one another, if you're constantly competing for supremacy in the upper hand. 
And then we come to that second part, not only controlling our anger, but dealing with our anger, you know, not letting the sun go down on your anger. So deal, deal with it swiftly, diligently, deliberately, and most importantly, biblically. God's word is your standard, not your emotions, not past ills done to you, not your experiences either. Don't let the sun go down without at least agreeing, without at least agreeing that you are going to work through those things and resolve them. And I would say the next day, can, can, cancel your appointments, right? Work, go on a date and work through those things. And then he says, do not give the devil a foothold. That would be our third thing, guarding against your anger. So controlling your anger, so that it is righteous anger, dealing with it, that is dealing with it swiftly, and of course, guarding against your anger. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. And as we know, it's the same thing with the government, right? We give them an inch, what do they take? They take a mile. Right? They take everything they can, they can possibly take while you're while you're not paying attention. You don't want to give the devil a foothold or, as the NASB says, an opportunity. And trust me, he will take that opportunity. And it doesn't take much to give the devil a foothold into your marriage and into your life. I mean, we think about, I mean, it's June, right? We can't just enjoy our June. No, it has to be Pride Month, right? It has to be Pride Month. Think about that. Think about the deviation and how fast it happens. First it begins with, you know, marriage is not between a man and a wife. And there's this, this very slippery slope that occurs. The next thing is going to be trying, trying to convince people, probably trying to convince some people who claim Christ, that bestiality is sin. You think that sounds ridiculous? It's going to happen. Right now there's already an organization called the North American, let's see, boy lover, man, man boy lover association. Endorsing pedophilia. Right? If love is love is love, which means if love is really meaningless, then you can love whatever you want. And we, and we can laugh at this stuff, but it's a reality. And it happens so quickly. Once culture, once society, once the church, once marriage gives the devil a foothold, he'll tear your foot right off. And there we are as a culture just bleeding out, bleeding out morally. Because all we did was start with one little compromise regarding marriage. And now we're having a hard time assessing what it even means to be human. Because we've deviated from God's standard, from God's view of things. And every time we give the devil a foothold, we welcome him into our marriage and our relationships and our culture to bring all kinds of strife, division, and rebellion. Even though we would teach here that Satan, the dragon, is bound so he cannot deceive the nation. Still, still, it's not as if he can't still cause trouble and division and strife. A dragon he remains. He's also characterized as a lion. He is a counterfeit lion, right? He is not the, the all-conquering lion of Judah, but he is a lion. And he prowls around looking for someone to devour. So in 1 Peter 5, I'll read this text. He says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Right? Humility. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble, and He will be opposed to the pride in your marriage. But with humility, there will be abundance of grace. Therefore, he says, humble, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
and He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares or anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And let me tell you, the first thing he wants to devour, husbands and wives, is your marriage. I mean, culture is built on that union. I mean, the new heavens and the new earth will be brought to bear by faithful men and women as husband and wives, who say, taking faithful dominion and raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And it's going to be hard to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord if they're constantly looking at you and seeing strife, division, and anger. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to take you seriously. But if they see forgiveness, a willingness to work through things, a willingness to be peacemakers and to show deference and humility, and then a willingness to listen to one another, if you're slow to anger, that's a model your children will want to follow and emulate. And I can't possibly oversell the importance of that. But with this responsibility comes a resisting of the devil and not allowing him to take a foothold, right? It's one thing, I think we imagine a man taking a foothold. But imagine a lion with his big paw and his claws taking a foothold. That's going to be messy. It's going to be hard to heal that. It's going to be hard to break away from that. But what does the Scripture say? Verse 9 of 1 Peter 5. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your obedience to God's word. What do we say? What what is the practical outworking of being firm in your faith? It's not just believing in Jesus more and more. It's obeying him. It's being obedient to his word. It's walking in step with the leading of the Holy Spirit and doing that together. And men, it prevails upon you in your marriage as head of your household to be the one who initiates reconciliation and restoration. I've said this before. Even if you were the one who was wronged, it is your responsibility to seek and initiate restoration with your wife. I know it's hard, but like I said, she's your wife. Why are you so afraid of her? Don't fear her. Fear the Lord and obey Jesus Christ And be a peacemaker. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The sons of God. Be a son of God. Keep current. And seek and pursue peace in your marriage. Be firm in your faith. And in that, you will not give the devil an opportunity. You will not give the devil a foothold. It's like as if you... Applied Crisco to your heel, right? Just slick. You can't grab, there's no friction. You can't grab onto it. You want to prepare so that the devil cannot take advantage of those opportunities, those opportunities to divide your marriage union, those opportunities to sow bitterness, those opportunities, we say, Lord forbid, to bring in other distractions that may lead to adultery, infidelity. He will take any opportunity to destroy what is precious to God. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we must gird our loins and stand guard at those things to preserve and protect those things that are precious to the Lord. So in, with, that, with that, I want to bring in some application when it comes to keeping current. Seven questions, again, these are not my own. I'm indebted to Dr. John Street for these, but seven questions to ask yourself before trying to resolve a problem which lends itself to being honest and keeping current. So we'll try to blaze through these quickly. 
But here's the first one, and should come as no surprise. Do I have the facts right? Am I bringing the truth to bear? Do I know what's going on in this situation? It's hard to keep current if you're keeping current with hearsay and rumor. Proverbs 18.13, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is shame and folly to him. Right? Asking questions, being be inquisitive rather than making statements. Rather than, I can't believe you would do such a thing. How dare you? Did, did this really happen? What's going on here? Ask a question. Don't, don't come accusing. Clarify the details, right? So do you have the facts right? Secondly, should love hide it? We ask this question because we know from Scripture that love covers a multitude of sins and it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. However, we would ask, is this truly sinful? Is this hindering growth and sowing division in my marriage? Does it threaten the peace of my marriage and my household? Also, is this a continuous sin? Has it developed into a habit? Because even small sins tend to grow and they can wreak havoc in your marriage. Same thing from 1 Peter 4.8. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And Peter isn't saying, yeah, let's hide the sin, let's mask the sin. But what we're dealing with is a, is a clear and often repeated violation of God's word. So if it's clearly a sin, it should be talked about. It should be brought up if it's harming your marriage. And that's something about sin. It kills. It harms. And it needs to be discussed, it needs to be exposed, and it needs to be repented of. Other than that, love covers a multitude of sins. You guys have certain faults, and you can overlook those faults. Thirdly, is my timing right? Kind of already talked about this, not letting the sun go down on your anger. Sometimes, when we say right away, it doesn't mean within the minute of finding out, right? There is a wisdom that can be applied. Proverbs 15.23, a man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. So again, don't try to solve all of your marital problems just before bedtime. You're tired and you're irritated at each other. So it's okay to wait as long as there is mutual agreement to, in the, in the, in the interest of honoring the Lord Jesus Christ in your marriage, to wait for the following day. But have a definite plan to work through that issue together. And it may take Several meetings. Okay. Fourthly, is my attitude right? Is your attitude in line with godliness? Or that means, are you asking, am I trying to help my spouse grow in the Lord? Am I trying to help them mature? Or am I doing this because their actions are an inconvenience to me and they make me mad? What does Philippians 2 say? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And let me tell you, you should be interested in the well-being of your spouse. Not only be, You shouldn't be thinking, how can I solve this problem, only because it inconveniences or troubles you. If your spouse is sinning, they risk harm. Right? They risk spiritual harm and harm to your marriage. So in the interest of their well-being, tend to the manner promptly and out of love for them. Which brings us to five. Are my words loving? Not are they nice, but are they loving? Are you speaking the truth in love? We talked about this last week from Hebrews 4.15. Are you speaking the truth in the interest of their spiritual maturity, in the interest of their growth in Christ-likeness? Are your words full of grace and seasoned with salt? Or are you becoming petty 
you know, reducing yourself to name calling and again, bringing up the garbage again. That's unloving. Sixthly, this is very important. Before you go to your spouse, have you prayed for God's help? Because the wisdom to talk to your spouse is going to come from somewhere and you don't want it coming from you. You want what the Lord has to say about the issue at the forefront, not your thoughts about it. What does the Lord say? That's your starting point. Have you prayed for His help? Have you asked Him, Lord, give me the wisdom that my words may be seasoned with salt and that I may be loving toward my spouse when I address this issue? Have you asked for God's help? Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, now is that time, so go to the Lord and ask Him for it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and out without reproach, and it will be given to him. When it comes to wisdom, man, we treat God like such a miser, as if he's just not going to tell us what we need to know. Go to the throne of grace believing that God is generous. He does not look at you reproachfully or, or judgmentally when you ask him for wisdom. It is humility in acknowledging that you lack the wisdom, you lack the resources for this confrontation, for this discussion. So go to the Lord because he has all of the resources at his disposal and loves you way more than you love your spouse. And he loves your spouse more than you love your spouse, right? So rely on him. Seventhly and finally, do you need to seek counsel from someone who is usually older and wiser than you before you try to resolve the problem? In Proverbs 15.22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. There is no shame in going and talking to someone about your issues, but be on the guard, be on guard that you don't just go to them to vent, right? Actually seek a solution. Otherwise, it's just gossip. We all fall to that at times. But again, what's the issue here? The issue is to glorify God by bringing our spouse to repentance and cultivating peace in our marriages. So if there is an able, wise counselor that you know, go to them and tell them the situation. Get biblical advice from someone who you trust and is and has been through this before. And so those are the seven applications. Those are the seven questions I want you guys to ask because I don't want I don't want I don't want any of you to be angry people. I don't want anger in your marriage and with your various issues of life to constantly be the grounds or a beachfront for a satanic assault on your marriage. We excuse a lot of sinful behavior when we allow anger to go unchecked, when we refuse to deal with the very thing that is making us angry, you, you will find that you will be doing all kinds of stupid things and making very poor choices, which will harm your marriage and damage your testimony as a, as a man or a woman of God. So in all those things, take into account how God sees it and how God is available out of the love and goodness of His own character to help you resolve these conflicts in your marriage and pursue peace. Uh, so more on this next Lord's Day. Please bow in a word of prayer with me. Father, help us, God, to, to honor you. We know that anger can be such a sticky temptation for so many of us, especially men, um, where we can be pretty intense sometimes. And, and we know that it's, it is hard to guard our anger. It's hard to remain self-controlled. It's hard to express righteous indignation, even at the proper time, Lord. And we acknowledge our need for your help, our need for 
your spirit to produce self-control so that we can be attentive and focused and diligent in resolving these conflicts and as men leading leading our, our wives through them. Um, we need your help. I pray that there would be uh, peace in our in our households and a willingness to to work through the various challenges, even if those challenges don't come from sin. They're just the various afflictions of life. Lord, we know that we need to be ready with your truth and with your grace to, to minister to the members of our household. Um, help us to be faithful in that. Help us to uh, cast all our cares on you, knowing you care so deeply for us, Lord, that you you love us so much more than we could ever express, Lord, so much more than we could ever love you or even love one another. Father, you take a far greater interest in our marriages than we even take in, uh, in them. So we recognize our, our shortcomings, our deficiencies, and our need for grace, Lord. So may your mercy abound in our households, and may we uh, be those who we can say, yeah, we didn't let the sun go down on our anger. We, we resolved or we were willing to resolve them. Um, and to be attentive to them, Lord, knowing that you are with us and that you desire love and goodness and faithfulness and peace in our marriages. And we can commit them to you, God, for a favorable outcome and continual growth in Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.